Talking sports as they report Back and forth from their home court They talk the sports if you're not sure They talk of sports and then talk more About all sports East, West, South, North Ryan talks sports Andrew retorts And George will hear as they both sort Through all the sports they both support The Walk-Ons What's up everybody? Welcome back to the Walk-Ons podcast It is San- Saturday, January 22nd, 2022 and it's one of the best weekends in all of sports, pretty much in all of the world. It is divisional weekend. Andrew Schuster, I'm fired up. I don't know about you, buddy. I'm so fired up, and you're going to love to hear this. <laughs> I am as fired up about the Niners winning today as you guys are. Wow. I'm in, I'm in Santa Clara. I'm five minutes from Levi Stadium. I know they're not playing there today. I'm in Niners country, and I need the Packers to lose in glorious fashion today. So I am all aboard the Niners bandwagon. Let's go. That's my guy. I love it. What are you doing in Santa Clara? We're up here working on this show. We're in San Jose. Oh, yeah. We're gonna, I'm going to be here till April. So, And I'm, I'm going to be watching the games in San Francisco, like in the city. So I'm, I'm going to be with Niners fans. I'm just telling them, hey, get the Packers out of the playoffs so Rodgers can go to Denver. Let's go. Oh, God, of course. It's always a Denver <laughs> angle, even yeah. when you're trying to be cool. Well, you know, good news. You'll be able to at least partake in the Niners uh, Super Bowl parade while you're there. So that'll be nice. Um, but look. We've got a ton to get to. It's going to be all NFL all day today here on this show because that's that's the big story. One, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. So, uh, look, Andrew, before we get into the divisional games, I'm really excited about these matchups. I think this is going to be a great weekend of football. But let's go back to Super Wild Card Weekend. I think probably the safest thing to say is it wasn't that wild or super. Uh, a lot of blowouts. I mean, the, the Rams crushed the Cardinals. Steelers had absolutely no chance against Kansas City, of course. 47-17, the Buffalo Bills just stomped all over the Patriots. Um, you know, sure, you had Bengals-Raiders, which I guess was an interesting ending, but that was pretty much all Bengals all day. And then, of course, you got Niners-Cowboys, which was looked to be a blowout, and then, of course, ended up pretty crazy. But what was sort of your, I guess, favorite moment from the weekend or favorite game that you were looking at? And the favorite moment, just like most of America, was watching the Cowboys self-destruct <laughs> in glorious fashion. And I'm not going to lie. I know a lot of times, like, especially March Madness, your, your team's losing and it's, it's just such a devastating moment. You catch the crying fans in the stadium. I've never seen. <laughs> Which, by the way, were you, I don't know if you're going to say this, but like the girl who was crying with like 417 left, it was like a seven point, six point game. Like, cal- calm down. You have the ball. There's yeah. a lot of time left. What are we doing here? It was, it was her. It was like 30 other Cowboy fans. Every person they cut to in the stadium, it was like they'd lost eight family members that's how devastating they were on the scale of devastation it was like the the most devastating thing that's ever happened to them and I don't know what they expected it's like we all have we all have our teams when they lose and it sucks but like all of AT&T Stadium the few Cowboy fans that were there they were just down in the dumps I think they knew this is our best chance to win a Super Bowl ever in, in the Jerry you know as it stands ownership and you know, they know we're not getting another home playoff game for 15 years, probably. And they knew it was it. But it was it was great to see the other big takeaway in the two games you did mention that were like close and kind of came down to the wire. It's kind of a really bad. The officiating is what really took center stage in both games. Yeah. There were moments where, Again, you know, if the officiating had been done, I guess, according to the book and there weren't questions called into play, then it would be one thing. But in both games, it involved moments where we had to say, hey, the officiating might have played a play in the final result. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's totally fair. I mean, and it, it's not, it's basically part for the course for what we've seen all season, right? I mean, some of these soft roughing the passer and taunting penalties, it's something that certainly needs to get fixed. Uh, certainly now, now is not the time. I mean, I would love to see less calls, but it's just going to be per, per crew and what they do. But yeah, I mean, the officials have no bit, 
they have to call the game as they see it, but they should have no business in the outcome of the game. And yeah, you could definitely argue that. I mean, the Bengals play with Joe Burrow. Was he out of bounds? Was he not? Clearly he wasn't on the replay, but you know, the ref shouldn't have blown the whistle, but at the same time, I mean, you, you got to still, you got to finish the play if you're the, if the, if you're the Raiders. So, I mean, you can't point to that and say, that's the reason why you lost. You were, you're getting pounded pretty much the entire game. And then for the DAC thing, I mean, you know, you've seen all all the storylines. Dak sort of saying like praising the the Cowboys fans for throwing trash at the officials and, and then walking that back, of course, which is stupid. But I mean, what are you supposed to do? Like you, you ran up the middle with 14 seconds to go with no timeouts. The official has to touch the ball. You, you got your your line set up, but the officials behind you. I mean, there it's just it's it's it was a huge moment. You know, a lot going on at a, a very quick pace, but. Yeah, you don't blame the officials in that in that instance, in my opinion. And yeah, of course, as a Niners fan watching that game and hating the Cowboys since I was a little kid, uh, yeah, it was a little bit sweeter. And of course, seeing all those fans crying with like four or five minutes to go, uh, I mean, it's you know, it, it's stupid. And like, I mean, if you look at the replay too, like Dak hands the center of the ball and he tries to like push it up like three yards. They're trying to give themselves like three extra yards. Like, so either it, it's not the officials' fault. You were basically trying to cheat and not playing within the rules of the game, and you lost. And you really deserve to lose that game because you were getting beat, beat up. You were, the Niners were tapping that ass in the first half and they, you know, kind of let it go in the second half. But, uh, you know, uh, let's stay away from the officials because uh, you could basically say that, you know, for, with every game, the officials had a hand in it. But, you know, I guess with respect to Super Wildcard Weekend, right, I think we were all excited to get some extra teams in the dance this year, uh, but not necessarily teams that I guess belonged, right? I mean, Pittsburgh just backed their way in, got incredibly lucky, and then they got smashed by Kansas City. Uh, you know, on the other side, the Eagles, who I didn't mention because they're not really worth mentioning, they kind of lucked in, right? You look at a team like maybe the Saints, who ha- if they hadn't gotten hurt, lost Jameis Winston, they'd be in there, it'd be, it'd be a better weekend. So, you know, what's your take on is bigger, better in terms of having more teams in the playoffs? Because at least for, for, for this, it's small sample size. I think a lot of people would say, no, it's not. I mean, from an, a standpoint of, of consuming NFL playoff games, it's better. And I do think it does change the, the fold of the season with there being, hey, there's an extra playoff spot for teams that are on the cusp of being in the playoffs fighting for. Um, you know, right. like it's it, the anti-tanking rule, sort of. I mean, you get more teams who yeah want to want to play out the play out the season. There's more incentive. There's there's and you know the the extra week too complicated it because we would have had a much different playoff field at the end of 16 weeks. We would have 17. Yep. And I argue that playoff field would have actually been really good. Um, you know, a lot of people are saying screw the seven seed, screw the seven seed. And look, th- their argument this this year would have been totally valid based off of the seven teams that were at the end of the regular season, but. You know, imagine if we had the Colts in there, if we had the Chargers in there, and granted, they didn't make the playoffs for a reason, but we can't, you know, look back and say, hey, if the Colts were in, in the playoffs for the Chargers, they would have made those games much more interesting. I mean, the Colts had Jonathan Taylor and a really good defense that got takeaways, which are both things that are super vital to a playoff run, and they're playing teams that they beat this year. I mean, they went into Buffalo and kicked Buffalo's ass. They handled the Patriots. Um, the Chargers, even though they had some weird games down the stretch, you know, losing to the Texans, the absurd game against Vegas in the last game of the year where Brandon Staley is calling timeouts when it may have behooved him to like his team to make the playoffs. But we also saw it in that game winning drive in the last two minutes where Justin Herbert basically did a great John Elway impression, just taking his team to the brink and scoring touchdowns when they absolutely needed it. And so you can't tell me that you, it wouldn't be super exciting to at least see him in the playoffs, give him that potential to, to show that off. And, you know, I don't know that the Chargers would have won the Super Bowl, but it would, I mean, they beat the chiefs this year probably should have beat them twice. You know, they, they had a couple of fourth downs in that last game where they just went for it and didn't get any of them. 
And if they get a couple of them, they probably do win that game in regulation. So I do think the AFC for sure had seven teams that could have really made it an interesting weekend. Unfortunately, they also did some stupid stuff at the end of the stretch. And a team like Pittsburgh just kind of, you know, found themselves in the seventh seed as the de facto team. And in the NFC, I, I know we can't justify injuries, but, you know, if the Saints had a healthy quarterback this year, I'm not saying Jameis Winston's an all-pro guy or anything, but they had such an odd quarterback situation. They're playing like six guys. Taysom Hill is not really even a quarterback. And, and Trevor Simeon sighting, that didn't work. Yeah, I mean, Ian Book, who is like, what, oh, what God. the hell? I mean, yeah, so yeah. the fact that they still, you know, were in the playoff picture till the end, needed the Niners to win an overtime just to miss the playoffs. You know, they beat the Buccaneers twice this year. They beat the Packers. If that's a team with a healthy quarterback, Sean Payton, that's a guy that would totally shake up the playoff picture potentially in the NFC. So I do think it didn't play out exactly how it should have in terms of the seven best teams being in there at the end of the season. And so the product wasn't as good in the actual wildcard weekend. But I do think like in the future, we can totally have it play out where we get three really good playoff games in each conference. Yeah, I agree. I think the NFC, just with respect to that, was a little bit more cut and dry, right? I mean, it was ba- you basically either going to get the Saints or the Eagles and nobody else really had a chance to sniff it. The AFC was crazy all year. I mean, it was exciting. You're looking, you're showing the playoff picture in like week 14 or 15. And it's like 12, 13 teams are still in the hunt, which is great. I mean, that's, that's what you want. You want to create urgency. You want to create intrigue. And the NFL did that very, very well. And, you know, I think on the, the point of injuries, you could talk about a team like the Baltimore Ravens too. I mean, they had a historical season in terms of injuries and losing guys, losing basically their entire secondary, you know, Lamar Jackson going down. I mean, that to me, that's a talented team uh, who is a playoff team. If, you know, they have most of their guys healthy, uh, you know, Cleveland, you could say uh, they've got a lot of big stars, but you know, Baker Mayfield certainly doesn't seem like the, the answer there, um, you know, and at the end of the day, like you said, right, Noodle Arm, Big Ben, and, and Pittsburgh had no business being there. I think we all knew what was going to happen when they went into KC. But you mentioned it, right? The Chargers and Colts both had good teams. They could have made some noise. They had their chance, and they blew it. I mean, the Colts shit the bed in Jacksonville. Still haven't won there since 2014, which is just mind-boggling. I can't believe that. Uh, and and then of course the Chargers, like you said, they they shit the bed on the biggest game of the year, Monday night, last game of the regular season, and you know, that's what it is. So yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the sort of the best in terms of you talking the seven seed, but the teams who probably deserve to be there, if you're looking at the Colts and the chargers, they had their chance. All they had to do was win and they're in and they didn't. So we got the kind of games that we got, but let's at least look ahead to what I really expect to be four very, very good games in the divisional round this week. First game we're kicking off. We've got Cincinnati at Tennessee. Uh, Look, this is going to be fun, man. I mean, the return of King Henry, we had mentioned this maybe four or five weeks ago on the show, right? When And this was a time when Kansas City had taken over the number one seed. It looked like they were going to roll. We had mentioned, you know, if somehow, some way, Tennessee could lock in that one seed, get the get the bye, get another week for Derrick Henry to be healthy. I mean, that's as dangerous a team as any team left in the playoffs right now with, you know, arguably the MVP when he went down, and now he's healthier than ever. I mean, you're going to see a lot of 22 today. No, absolutely. And, and as a general you know, note for the whole weekend, you know, I, I, in my mind, have four teams that I think are going to win over the next two days, but it would not shock me at all if well, I went over. Andrew, four. I hate to break it to you, but four teams are going to win, uh, uh, you know, through, no, the, through this weekend. Let me finish my point. There are going to be four winners. A valid point. I'm saying, I, I, in my mind, I think I know who's going to win each game. But if I went over four, if I got all of them wrong, I would not be shocked. That's the, each of these games, you really, it's, it's kind of a toss up in a lot of ways. Um, but yes, specifically for this game, you know, the Titans have to be the most, 
disrespected, not taken seriously one seed I can remember. I mean, it just felt like all year it was like, yeah, they have the best record, but are they really the best team, especially with, with Derrick Henry out? But, you know, the fact that they still made the one seed with Derrick Henry missing at least half the season, if not more, just goes Impressive. to show that there's a lot of stuff in, in their culture, you know, like just the mindset of that, of that team that you, you, you need to have on a championship caliber team. And I think Mike Vrabel is a really, really amazing coach when it comes to instilling that in his guys. I think the one question mark that really makes you go, mm, I don't know how they stack up to the other three teams in the AFC is just quarterback. I mean, I think we would all say Ryan Tannehill is clearly the fourth best quarterback left playing. You, know, you have Mahomes and Allen, who might be the two best guys in the whole league. Joe Burrow has come onto the scene this year and been an absolute stud. Um, my only hesitation with the Bengals is I still think it's really hard to go from like a worst place team to an immediate, you know, AFC championship appearance. Um, it's a road playoff game. They just got their first playoff win, you know, in 30 years last week. I think it's going to be really hard for them to play a rested team with Derrick Henry coming back and, you know, come in there and, and beat them. But it's possible. But, you know, it, it really just goes to show that like Tennessee is the team that like we're not really taken seriously. But, you know, they beat Kansas City. They beat Buffalo this year. There's a reason they're the one seed. And it's so, yeah, that's it. All, all games have intrigue in them, which is just an, what, exactly what you want in the divisional round. Yeah, and with respect to the Titans, I mean, I think you're right. It's sort of underappreciated, disrespected. You know, I remember watching at the beginning of the season, uh, I mean, their defense was getting gashed week after week for the first four or five weeks. They actually ended up with the sixth best defense overall in the NFL. So that's a team that kind of righted the ship. Um, you know, I, I think Brian Tannehill has done what he's needed to do, but the defense has really kind of stepped up in the back, back half of the season. They've carried the team. They are the epitome of their head coach, Mike Vrabel, who I think is – an awesome, awesome head coach. You know, there's, I was thinking about this the other day. It's like, you've got sort of two types of coaches in the league, right? You've got the X's and O's guys, the, the Sean McVay's, the, the, the Kyle Shanahan's, Andy Reid's who can just out scheme you. Right. And then you've got the football guys, right. Dan Campbell biting kneecaps that high kind of thing. But Mike Vrabel is to me, the perfect sort of balance of two of, of those two things, right? He's a football guy, guy won championships with, with the pa Patriots, um, was a great linebacker. You know, I remember him catching, catching balls in the end zone as, as sort of a tight end. Um, and, you know, he's, he's the epitome of a tough football guy. He once said he'd cut off his, uh, his member to win a Super Bowl. So we'll see if that still is on the table. Um, and, but secondarily, I mean, the guy knows how to coach. The guy knows how to get the most out of these players. Um, he knows how to, you know, just, win games. And so I, I give him a lot of credit for that. I don't think he def he gets enough credit, um, kind of fits the mold of the, the entire team, but yeah, I mean, this time there was a, uh, there was an article this week on ESPN say basically claiming that the Titans are the worst one seed in the NFL since 1983. Uh, I didn't really go back down the, the history books, but I think that's a crock of shit. I mean, I remember when the Patriots were a one seed and they got outed, the, the Ravens were a one seed a couple years ago and they got out in the first round. So no, the Titans are not the worst one seed. They maybe are the most underappreciated, uh, but that's a team that is ready and rocking to go and they've got their MVP in the backfield. So, you know, that's, they're, they're about as good positioned as anybody, you know, to take on, take home the AFC. So I guess on the other side, right. You'd mentioned it Bengals 31 year drought. They ended that last week. They haven't been to an AFC title game since 1988. So, you know, a lot of pressure there, but look, uh, if anything, you, you can at least say that we've got our quarterback, right. Joe Burrow is everything he was advertised to be right. The man is he's, he's a winner. He's calm. He's cool. He's collected. I mean, this is a team that was two and 14, two years ago, they were awful. And they still have a terrible offensive line. They still he still got sacked like 50 some odd times, which I think is the most in the NFL. So 
you know, they have to shore up some things. Um, and I, you know, we had talked about this early in the show during the draft was, was a mistake drafting Jamar chase instead of an offensive lineman. Clearly no, because they have an awesome, awesome rapport, but, uh, what Joe Burrow has done to turn around Cincinnati in such a quick amount of time is, is it's incredibly impressive. Don't you think? Oh yeah, no, he, I really like watching Joe Burrow play. He's, he's a fun guy to watch. He, he, he has all those intangibles of a guy who knows he's really good, but like, you don't hate him for having kind of this like cool confidence. Like a lot of times you see a guy who knows he's really good and you're kind of like, he has a really punchable face. I hate this guy, but like Joe Burrow, I'm like, I respect it. He's just got that, like I, that cool aura. I know I'm cool. I'm confident, but it's, I don't know. He, he's, he's fun to watch. And I, if I didn't like the Titans so much and kind of like their story and their potential, I probably be, would be rooting for the Bengals, but you know, I, I do like the Titans today though. I, I think that number one seed is going to help, you know, the Tennessee fans are going to be rocking. Um, the Bengals are just an unproven team. I know they won last week and they probably do have the better quarterback, but I, I, I still just, I think the Titans with, with Derek Henry, it's, it's, it's going to be too much for them this week. And then I think uh, we're going to have a fun AFC championship next week. Yeah. And you know, one of the other things, right. We're talking the, the big story, at least surrounding Tennessee is, is the return of King Henry, but I mean, you've got a healthy AJ Brown, you've got a healthy Julio Jones. They've only played 120 snaps together on the field this season. I mean, that is not a lot. So now you're looking at a team that has a full complement of weapons, including number 22. Uh, yeah, I, I think they're definitely a dangerous team, but let's go back to Joe Burrow really quickly because, you know, you've got, everybody loves to do the ranking systems at, at one thing Joe Burrow can't do, maybe the only thing he can't do is slide. He still needs to figure out how to slide because he definitely can't do that. Definitely not a baseball player growing up. But I mean, where does he rank to you on on sort of that spectrum? Is he a top five, top 10 quarterback? Because for me, I mean, you've got you've got the guy, you've got Rodgers, you've got Mahomes, you've got Josh Allen, who's absolutely incredible. I mean, somebody, some guys want to put Justin Herbert in the top five. I'd put Burrow there because Burrow's gotten his team to the playoffs. Say whatever you want about how good uh, Justin Herbert's been. He hasn't gotten his team to the playoffs. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think that's the one thing about Justin Herbert that is kind of hard to defend is that he's been incredible the last two years, but his team has been bad. And this is the one position that elevates the entire team. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like it's, it's, you can't sit here and say, oh, he's, he's a detriment. You know, it's, it's like, I almost kind of like think of, of his situation kind of like the Lions were, where it was like Stafford was objectively putting up great stats and balling, but somehow the team just would be terrible around him. But, you know, I think right now, for my money, I would take Burrow over Herbert, and there's a reason he was drafted first. Um, to answer your question about the top five, I would still maybe leave him out of the top five just because you have Brady, you have Allen, you have Mahomes. Um, you you have uh, – I mean, still Lamar Jackson when he's healthy is a problem. Yeah, you could I say Russell Wilson, I guess, but, yeah. you know. Aaron I mean, Rodgers. I mean, it's course. still just it's, – it's really hard to just say definitively he's top five with only one playoff win in his first playoff game. But I think top 10, absolutely. I don't, there's not 10 quarterbacks that are better than him in the NFL right now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think he has all the makings, though, of a guy who will be the, one of the faces of the league going forward. But this is just the first stop for him. Yeah, yeah. And uh, our producer, Seamus, just chatted me. I guess you could put Burrow up there pretty high up there on the punchable face metric as well. But, you know, I, I think regardless of sort of how cocky he's been, I mean, the guy's earned it. He won a national championship at LSU. He's taken a bad franchise for decades and he's got him in the playoffs. and He's got a chance to go to an AFC title game. So, you know, all the credit in the world to him, especially Zach Taylor as well, who's kind of gone all in with Burrow and, and so far so good. So with that said, you mentioned you like Tennessee. Tennessee, they're a four-point favorite at home. 
I like that too. I would take the points. I think it's going to be a great game, but I do think there's just going to be two. Basically what you're looking at is if, if Tennessee gets a seven or 10 point lead, they're just going to run Henry down Cincinnati's throat time after time, after time, he's probably going to have 30 carries. I don't think he has a carry restriction or a snap count restriction. So that is sort of the recipe for me. If, if Tennessee gets an early lead, this one's over before it starts, but um, I hope, hopefully Cincinnati keeps it close. I mean, Burrow, you, you can never count him out, but uh, I think Cincinnati's defense is, they're a little thin, so we'll see what happens, but yeah, I'll, I'll take the Tennessee Titans as well. Uh, minus four. So the night game, this is the game <laughs> Packers Niners at Lambeau. It's going to be freezing. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I mean, this basically takes me back to, you know, the early nineties, the Packers Niners rivalries. It just feels like being a kid all over again. Obviously everybody knows what happened. Niners Packers in the NFC championship game a couple of years ago, Rogers is 0 three against the Niners uh, in the playoffs. So, you know, this is a game that's got a lot of huge implications. I mean, for me, the great thing is that, you know, we know what January is like in Lambeau. It's going to be freezing. I've heard anywhere between five and 12 degrees, and it's going to get colder as the game goes on. You know, anybody who's ever spent any time in the cold, everything you do in the cold just hurts. Like you stub your toe, you hit your hand, like hell, you sneeze in the cold, it hurts. And now you're going to have a bunch of some of the biggest men in the world just running into each other full speed for three and a half hours. It's going to be uh, a drag out. I mean, it's going to be the toughest guy has got to win, right? And I guess, to start off, right, there's a lot of different storylines here, but, you know, one thing that was just kind of popping in my mind is Green Bay for where they play. Their defense has been pretty good this year, but they just don't strike me as a defense that's sort of a cold weather defense, right? I mean, I think about the Buffalo Bills, that is the epitome of a cold weather defense. They're one of the best defenses in the league. They hit you, they manhandle you, they push you around there's a little more finesse on the defensive side for, for the Packers. And I think that could be a huge problem, especially with how much San Francisco likes to run the ball with Elijah Mitchell and Debo Samuel. I mean, Debo is going to get those legs churning. He's going to start hitting guys in the mouth. And, you know, by third, fourth quarter, my hope is that the Packers are just not going to want any more of that. And we're going to run the ball 45 times for 250 yards plus. What do you think, Andrew? Yeah. I mean, the reason this game is so intriguing to everybody, I think green day, green Bay has been by far the best team in the league all year. Obviously they have the best record, yep. but, the Niners just are a team that matches up very well with Green Bay's defense. And not to say, obviously, San Francisco, you're not playing in 12-degree weather, but they're a team built to play in the cold in the sense that they run the ball. They're a run-first team. You know, if they're not the Rams or some of these, you know, air raid kind of style offenses where it's just you need to throw the ball over the place, you can't rely on that in a cold-weather game like this. Plus, you know, if, if you're running the ball, you're controlling time of possession, you can really dictate the game plan that way. You're keeping number 12 on the sidelines. And that's huge. Um, he can't hurt you if he's over there. So I, I think for me, it's going to be a really great game. They're probably going to need to generate some turnovers. But what sells it for me for San Francisco is Garoppolo cannot lose them the game. He doesn't need to go out there and necessarily be the reason they win. But he cannot have another play like he did against the Cowboys where he's throwing a pick at just the absolute worst time of the game and left the door open for them to come back. In a game, like you said, the, the Niners really just dominated from from the beginning of that game. It should not have come down to them having to do the crazy 14, you know, 14 second quarterback run. Um, so if Garoppolo can go in there and just, you know, do what he's needed to do to operate the offense, make a couple throws here and there, but not be the one, the reason why they lose this game, not have a two or three interception game, then I think it's going to be a really close game where, yeah, I think the Niners run defense or run offense is going to provide a lot of issues to Green Bay. But if, if they Green Bay defense can get a couple turnovers 
and you allow Aaron Rodgers to execute on that, plus the home field advantage of them being a cold weather team, you know, then that's where you really go, hey, yeah, Green Bay is going to win this team, this game. There's a reason they're the number one seed. Yeah, that's the scary part for me. And I think pretty much every Niners fan out there is, is just Jimmy just needs to be good enough to win the game. I, I don't want to use the, the term game manager because I do think he's better than that. Uh, but you're right. I mean, just the, the, the certain throws, he's good for one, two, maybe three very, very, very bad throws in every game. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a nightmare. It's every single time. And yes, you know, the last few weeks, he had the thumb injury, he got shoulder injury, um, you know, but the, the guy's a tough dude. I mean, he gets hurt a lot, but he seems to at least play through it. I mean, he, he had the ankle injury or the knee injury last year. He actually tried to play through that for a couple of games and then they sat him down for the rest of the season. So I question is, I don't question his toughness. I question his decision-making ability. And I really think that you're right. It's if we play three and a half quarters of really good football and then lose it on a terrible throw in the fourth quarter or something by Jimmy Garoppolo, that, I mean, that's just absolutely going to crush me, but I, I think he can manage the game to the point where, like you said, it's, it's, it's very similar to what I said about Tennessee. If we can get an early lead. Yes. We almost blew it in, in Dallas last week, but an early lead run the ball game plan, keep it out of Jimmy's hands, at least in terms of, you know, he can make easy throws, right. Crossing throws that throws that don't have to really put him in a bad position. Then yeah, we're going to be in a great spot. And I think the other, the other sort of scary spot on the other side of the ball is matching up our cornerbacks with, with Devonte Adams. Valdez, Scanlings out today, so that's nice. Um, but I mean, Jesus, I mean, I still have nightmares seeing what Devonte Adams did to us on Monday night and uh, earlier this season. That last that last series, we had him double teamed, and he's still just. I mean, you can't, you can't really stop him. So that's been a question mark all season long. Yes, Ambry Thomas has started to play much much better. He's coming back off a little bit of an injury that he got in the Dallas game. So you know, with him, Emmanuel Mosley, and then of course the safeties, Jaquiski Tart and uh, and Jimmy Ward. We just can't let 17 beat us. We just can't do it. So I, I you know, it, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting thing. That's, those would be my two worries. One A and one B really is Garoppolo not losing the game and our cornerback somehow holding up for 60 minutes. Well, let me ask you this. So obviously we talk about Rogers, right? Look, he got, had an MVP season. Um, he is, who knows what's going to happen at the end of the year, right? He might retire. He might go somewhere else. I don't, really see him re-signing in Green Bay, although he said, you know, some, some relationships have been repaired with the front office, things are going better. But in terms of Rodgers in the playoffs, I mean, we already mentioned he's 0-3 against the Niners in the playoffs. If they lose this one, one, Andrew, what does this do to his legacy, quote-unquote, you know, the old legacy take? And two, what happens next year? And I want to challenge you, Andrew, I want to challenge you to give your take without mentioning Rodgers to Denver Broncos. Can you do it? I mean, I'm, 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 I know I'm a Broncos fan and I'm a homer. The actual word on the street is the Broncos are going to throw everything at Green Bay to get him. So, like, legitimately, if he's going somewhere, I'm 100% of the opinion he's going to Denver. So, yeah. Well, you, fa you failed that experiment, So, but we'll, we'll move on. Go ahead. Well, you, it's, like telling, it's like saying, hey, mention gravity without mentioning gravity. It's like you can't. It, like, you have to. It, it's, I could. You just If you drop something from a height, it's just going to fall. That's the way of the world. It's going to fall towards the ground. You didn't have to mention gravity there. Okay. You you're not. You're not I'm just, I'm, you, you asked me oh, what's going to happen, and then you're saying, but don't give me your answer. Like, that's literally what. Well, because I'm, I'm trying to give, maybe give a little more expounded of an answer of okay. what do you my, think my, happens 
if 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 Rodgers loses this game, you know, what do you, do you do you think he's really serious about actually retiring? And do you think it's more likely if he retires if he loses this game versus if he wins the Super Bowl, right, and rides off into the sunset? I don't think he's going to retire because he's still clearly at the top of his game. He's probably going to win MVP again this year. If he loses, I do think though we're in a situation where he looks at this and says, "We've we it's like the definition of insanity. You, we keep trying this. We keep having these great regular season runs. They're the I think they're the first team in NFL history to have three consecutive thirteen plus win seasons, um, and then they fail in the playoffs." And, and I think he's going to look at that and say, I've already had the issues with this team and the front office relationships. I, I, I genuinely think at that time he would say, I want to go elsewhere, especially with the team saying they would entertain that. If he came to the end of the season and said, you played ball with us, you still want to go somewhere else, we'll, we'll entertain trade offers. I do think, though, if they win, especially if they continue to win after that, I think he stays because there's no point in leaving the best situation for him football-wise. You can still say, hey, playing in Green Bay is not my favorite, but like, they're, they're not set up to just be terrible going forward after the season. I know they have some cap issues and they're going to probably have to let a couple players go, but as long as you have 12 there with that offense and Devonte Adams potentially still wanting to be there. If Rogers is there, the Packers are still very much a heavyweight in the NFC, but I do think right. if he loses to answer your question about legacy, I do think that does suddenly become a, an aspect of what we think of when we think of Aaron Rodgers. you know, the, the biggest knock against Peyton Manning was his lack of playoff success. He really only won one Super Bowl. I know he won two, but like the Broncos defense is why they won that one. And everyone knows that. And, you know, that's kind of the big knock was we say from like a, a ability to play the position, he might still be the greatest ever, but there's a reason he's not the GOAT. You know, his playoff success matters. And Rodgers in that same boat. He's won Super Bowl. He's had plenty of playoff letdowns. And if he does it again this year, then I think that suddenly does become, you know, when you think of Aaron Rodgers, he's the regular season guy, all the talent in the world, but he can't execute in the playoffs. And that's where I go back to where I saying, if they lose, I think there's the potential that he looks to go elsewhere. And I'll just say that because I've already told you where I th- what I think happens. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we know what you think happens. That's okay. But I, that, look, that, that's a, a good thoughtful answer. That's just what I was looking for from you. And part of, part of what I'm thinking, I think regardless of this, of what happens in this game, certainly it gets easier for him if, if they win, um, you know, win the Super Bowl or at least go to the NFC title game. But Aaron Rodgers, you know, he may be a little ornery. He may be a little stubborn, but he's not a dummy. And Green Bay is probably the best situation that he's going to have there. I mean, yeah, Denver's interesting. Uh, you know, Miami's interesting. Wherever else he might go is interesting, but he's not stupid. And if Devontae Adams, which is also the other huge cog that, you know, chip that might need to fall is Devontae Adams also is going to be a free agent as well. You know, do they decide to run it back in Green Bay? Do they decide to run it back somewhere else? Do they, do they split? You know, because look, on Devontae Adams, he's one of the best, if not the best wide receiver in the league, but is he the same receiver without Aaron Rodgers? I mean, these, these guys are very close. They basically are like twin brothers out there. I mean, they're reading each other's mind uh, pretty much on every play. You know, it's, it's one of, if not the best quarterback wide receivers, one-to-one combo in the league. And for them to maybe talk about running it back in green Bay, it makes probably the most sense than saying, all right, let's just split it and let's go somewhere else. And, you know, hopefully we win. So I, I, it's interesting, but I I think my point being, yeah, maybe he leaves somewhere else, but I think he would be really kind of, 
It just doesn't seem like something he would do because he's too smart to do that. But that's just my take. Let's look on the other side before we pop to the, the Sunday games, Andrew. So Jimmy G, look, everybody wants to talk about what's going to happen at the end of the season. Obviously, we basically mortgaged the future to get Trey Lance at three in the draft this year. But Jimmy G's 31 and 14 as a starter with San Francisco. So say all you want about Jimmy G not being the guy, what they're going to do with him at the end of the season. But he's been great. I mean, you extrapolate, that's almost three seasons worth of football. And that's three 10-win seasons right there. So the guy's been very good. Um, I think towards the end of the year, you know, well, at the end of the season, he is basically off the books, right? So it's, we, a, lot of, a lot of Niners fans want us to re-sign him. He's going to be very, very expensive, which means you're going to have to, you know, figure out what else you're going to do. You're going to lose two or three guys on the defensive side of the ball, possibly. Uh, what do you think the Niners do with Jimmy G at the end of the season, regardless of what happens today or, you know, in the next couple of weeks, if they win? Yeah. He's a free agent at the end of this season. Yep. And he basically they can he can walk away and the Niners owe him no more money. So we are they you know they're very they have a very creative front office, Parag Marathi. You know, they know what they're doing. So they basically front loaded all of Jimmy G's money. So he can walk away and we don't owe him a penny after the end of the season, which is sort of that, you know, that exacerbates the the question. Like, what do you do? Do you re-sign him for 25, 26 mil a year? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you have to because from what I've – I mean, you guys would speak better on this than I can, but I've heard Trey Lance is not really ready. You know, he's, he's, he's still green. And I know they give up a lot for him, so they're going to utilize him at some point. But, you know, you, you can't just throw him to the wolves, especially with a roster that's built to win right now. And, you know, if you have to spend – you know, it's one thing if you're paying, you know, him Kirk Cousins money where it's like $45, $50 million, and it's completely hemorrhaging the, anything else you can do with your team – but if, if it's Jimmy G who has shown he's capable in that offense, excuse me, is very much a guy that can get you to where you need to go. I mean, he's one bad throw away from being a Super Bowl champion. Um, and so I think if you're given the choice between the two of them, it's clearly Jimmy G. But like you said, it's it's the, the complication of, all right, are we going to have to shell out money for a guy who really is only going to be our quarterback one, maybe two years before you actually do have to play the guy that is, you know, you invested three first round picks in. It's not just some guy you pick 12th and you're like, you know, he's our guy in the future, but you've really only drafted, had one piece of draft capital in him. Um, what I think happens, I think you re-sign Jimmy Garoppolo and, and, you know, unless some quarterback that we aren't expecting to become available becomes available and they decide he's the right fit for the Shanahan offense. But if it's just between the two of them, I think you have to bring back Garoppolo over Trey Lance. Yeah, if I'm thinking best case, I mean, it bring Garoppolo back on a one-year deal. You sort of like a, you know, they call them the prove-it deals, even though I think Jimmy's proven enough. My question is, is Jimmy G going to want to do sign a one-year deal, right? I mean, he basically knows that Trey Lance is the future. And Trey Lance, no, he's not ready. He got played 16 games in the FCS. Didn't, didn't play a six. He played one game in that COVID-shortened season in 2020. And, you know, this is a guy who's not ready. And depending on who you're talking to or who you listen to out of Niners camp, yes, he's gotten better throughout the year. He, you know, he started to improve. But this is a guy who's not ready to take the reins for a team that's ready to basically built to win right now, like you said. And best-case scenario for the Niners is to re-sign Jimmy Garoppolo short-term. But I don't see Jimmy, Jimmy G saying that, right? Because he's not a dummy either. He's, he's going to go get his money. He's going to go get his long-term deal. So that's going to be an interesting thing, how, how that shakes out. I'll be nervous all offseason, but we'll see. So give me your pick for this game. Green Bay is favored by five and a half. We just pick, we'll just pick winners here, but who do you like in this game, Andrew? I'm going to go San Francisco. 
that's my guy. There he is. Part of me is absolutely like certain that like Green Bay will win, but part of me just is going to be the optimistic. All right, let's go Niners, baby. Plus, it'd be more fun for me up here if, if they were to. Yeah. Pull. No, we're we're in Rogers' head. Shanahan has built a entire plot of land inside Lafleur's head, and I think we're the tougher team. I think we're going to come out and we're just going to we're going to punish them all day long. And Debo's going to have like. 80 yards receiving and 120 and maybe two tutters on the ground. So go Niners. Cannot wait for that tonight. I'll be drinking heavily one way or another. I'm sure. Uh, let's move on to Sunday. <laughs> we got Rams Buccaneers. Look, this is another really interesting game. I mean, potentially Brady's last playoff run, you know, you've got the retirement rumors swirling, which is uh, crazy to me. I mean, it's, it's stupid because the guy's still the best quarterback in the league at 44. It looks like he can play till he's 50. Um, you know, potentially his last game, which would be interesting. Obviously, the Rams beat the Bucks in week three, 34-24. That was in L.A. This one's going to be in Tampa Bay. Uh, a couple big injuries on the offensive line for each team. Andrew Whitworth out. Not sure if Christian Wirfs is going to go. Uh, he'll be a game-time decision. Those may be the two best tackles in the league outside of Trent Williams. Um, but other than that, I mean, these are two teams that are playing well. They're, call it peaking at the right time, if you will. But you know, I think this is going to be an interesting one. I, I just don't know if the Rams have enough on the road to, to overtake Brady. What do you think? I actually, I, I like LA in this game. Do you? Um, I, I do. I think they are uniquely set up to take advantage of Tampa Bay's injuries. And look, Tampa Bay is still a fantastic team and they could easily come out and win by 20 in this game, but they just don't have the same feel to them last year, this year as they did last year. I mean, last year they got hot. They, they won their last five games and just really steamrolled through the playoffs. Uh, this year, you know, they had the Antonio Brown fiasco. They, they've had injuries. They've, they've had, you know, they're missing key guys in, in situations where you need those guys on the field to win. And it just, it feels like the, if, if they were a ship, that, that pirate ship that, they, you know, they have in it, it, one end zone, it's leaking a little bit. You know, it's still functioning. It still could get you from A to B, but it's leaking a little bit. And I, I do think, though, you know, with, with the Rams defensive line specifically, Aaron Donald and what looks like a rejuvenated Von Miller could could wreck havoc. And you go back to the, the Broncos Super Bowl run. I know I'm like a broken record, but Brady in that game, the AFC Championship, he got destroyed. And, and that's how you beat Brady. You got to hit him a bunch. You have to make him, you know, not be able to sit there in the pocket and dissect your defense. So if there's anyone that can do that and kind of negate the, the Buccaneers, you know, weapons and then their defense isn't as strong as it once was. You know, I, I do like their kind of they're uniquely suited to take advantage of, of the Buccaneers few weaknesses. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say I like the Rams because I, I do think there'd be a lot of fun if we had a Niners Rams NFC championship and kind of repeat what we saw a couple weeks ago in that, you know, final game of the season. Yeah, I mean, that's very intriguing. To be honest, from my perspective, I would much rather play L.A. than, I, than Tampa Bay. That's just me. I don't want to go up against Brady. At, at all especially with sort of his feelings around the 49ers and you know Jimmy Garoppolo not you know them sort of bringing him in instead of giving Brady a chance which is apparently depending on who you believe is that was the team he was looking to go to if they were interested but they chose Garoppolo instead either or look it, the Rams have basically built themselves for this moment right you know you've got the Von Miller acquisition OBJ of course, Aaron Donald, who's incredible. Jalen Ramsey. I mean, this is about as close as you can get to an all-star team, right? It'd be the, the NBA equivalent of a big three, right? They have the star power to, to, to make this run. And this is what they did. They basically, they, they show, the Rams have showed 
time and again that they do not value draft picks. They draft, they value guys who can, who are stars who can get them to the playoffs and get, get them wins in the playoffs. Right. It's worked once already. Um, certainly last week, they looked really good against the Cardinals. The Cardinals, I mean, for my money are one of the softest teams in the league, but yeah, I mean, this is what the Rams built themselves for. They built themselves for games like this and they built that defensive line to hit Brady a lot. That's one thing that just kind of amazes me is for a guy like Tom Brady, who, yeah, he's smart. He's, I think his movement in the pocket is underrated, but the amount of time, the struggles that teams seem to have to actually just get hands on him. It's a huge testament to obviously the offensive line, which is why the Tristan Wirfs injury is very, very significant because they looked off the I don't know who that backup was in the Eagles game but he was getting absolutely worked dude he was getting pushed in the backfield on almost every play so that's a big big problem if you line up you know Von Miller or or Aaron Donald on that side and Tristan Wirfs is not playing it's just it shocks me how little teams can seem to get to Brady but I definitely think the Rams are built to be one of those teams to really really make it very difficult for him that said I don't see them winning this game I still think Tampa Bay is going to pull it out but yeah there's just significant injuries I mean Godwin's out for the year Gronk's a little beat up, but he'll be playing. You got Mike Evans still back in there. Uh, playoff Lenny, Leonard Fournette is back. Whatever, maybe that tips the scales, maybe it doesn't. Um, but yeah, I guess I would take, I'm just going to take Brady at home. I'm just going to take Brady at home. I think that they're just a better team overall. But yeah, I, I think this would be one of those ones that you said, Andrew, a little bit earlier in the show is I would not be shocked at all if the Rams come out and they beat, they beat the Bucks at home. Who do you like in this game? I told you, I, I'm going to go with the Rams. Oh, um, yeah. Right, and, uh, right, right. You know, they, they, did, they did win earlier this year. So <laughs> it's not like it's, you know, they're, they're coming out in a limb and, and doing something crazy. Yeah, I'm clearly on the top of my game here today. Uh, okay. Um, well, you got any other thoughts on that before we go to that, that last game on Sunday? Uh, the only other thing I'll say is, you know, I, a lot of these rumors are starting to swirl about Brady's retirement. I don't know. He just doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would just on a whim say, all right, that was actually my last game and none of you guys knew it. I think, you know, the number he's always thrown out is he wants to play till he's 45. And I do think he's kind of got that, like, I want to do a, you know, final tour kind of thing. So I think win or lose the Super Bowl this year, I would be, you know, and I think he signed a three-year contract with Tampa Bay, right? So I think, I think it's kind of- No, two. I think it was two years. This is the last year. Oh, either way. Right. I, yeah, I, checking, I could, checking with our producer. Okay. Well, either way, I, I, I could see last year or next year, excuse me. Next year being his last year. Um, I, I just think it's, you know, he could say, hey, guys, this is my last run. He'll be 45. You know, it'll kind of just line up nicely. I think it's about 25 years he would have been in the league. It's just, and I'm not saying that the, it's a nice number and that's what matters, but I just think kind of knowing everything, he would probably say, I'm going to prepare and, you know, kind of take solace in, in this being my last season. Yeah, he does seem like kind of like the guy, not like necessarily like a victory lap, if you will, but he's, he's certainly – you know, not that guy who's just going to pull the plug, right. And just be like, Oh, surprise. I'm, I'm out of the league. Uh, so yeah, he, he is, he's going to be a free agent in 2023. So, so I guess, yeah, they've got him through his year 45. So he's got another year left. Um, yeah. I mean, that'd be interesting, right? I think seeing him retire this year would be pretty, pretty odd with, with sort of how well he's still played and secondarily. Yeah. If he's got another year on his contract, might as well play out the string that's where it starts to get interesting, right? Does, if he becomes a free agent, does he go somewhere else or does he resign in Tampa or does he just hang up the cleats? I don't know. That'll be an interesting one, but I definitely don't, I agree with you. I don't think this is his last ride regardless of what happens in this game. But one other, one other thought in this, and this is just purely sort of for, for my own edification, like 
what happens if the Rams lose this game? You know, because I think there's been some talk maybe in the middle of the season this year when the Rams are struggling a little bit, right? That sort of sheen of Sean McVay's sort of aura has kind of worn off a little bit. Yeah, they started to get it back towards the end of the year. Yeah, he's got a lot of stars on his team. But, you know, is is Sean McVay, I don't want to say in trouble, but has his sort of been, you know, kind of figured out and he's kind of lost that sort of whiz kid vibe if, you know, if, if they don't seem to win this game and get, get to the NFC title game. Because it feels like, at least for LA, it's NFC title game, really Super Bowl or bust. Yeah, I don't think it necessarily like means he's in trouble, but I do think it might take some of the glean off of he's like the hot next big thing. Because yeah. in a vacuum, he's still like the Rams have made the playoffs three out of the last four years. They've won a playoff game three out of the last four years, a Super Bowl appearance. And two of those playoff appearances were with Jared Goff, who we all know really is at best a league average quarterback at best. So in a vacuum, he's still an incredibly accomplished head coach. And you look at all these teams that have players or coaches that coach under him that are succeeding, Matt LaFleur and, you know, Kevin O'Connell is a hot head coaching candidate right now. So I don't think it's suddenly like, oh, he's on the hot seat, but we might kind of temper our expectations as he's like the hot young thing that everyone is trying to replicate and specifically copy their team and their model off of. I could definitely see that happening. Yeah. And again, I mean, not to beat a dead horse, but the Rams have mortgaged their pretty much their entire future for the next five, six years on, on draft picks. Right. So Sean McVay, yeah, I still think he's a good coach, but he's also, he's had the luxury of, of being able to do it and win games with, with a lot of sort of big name, you know, big star free agents. And we'll see, you know, if they can continue that success when they don't have high draft picks, but last game of the day, or excuse me, of Sunday. So it's our Sunday night game bills at chiefs shit. This might be the best game of the entire weekend. I mean, You've got two teams really who I think at the beginning of the season and really even up to right now, these are your two top contenders in the AFC for the, for the Super Bowl. So, you know, it's, it's maybe a shame that they're not playing in the AFC title game, but I'll take it whenever I can get it. Uh, these two teams played earlier this year, you know, it was actually pretty incredible. Uh, so let's, let's go back. There's obviously a, a repeat of the AFC title game last year, which the chiefs won pretty handily 38 24 but they played earlier this season uh i think it was 38 20 buffalo won uh josh allen threw for 15 three touchdowns i think he ran for 59 and another touchdown he was excellent this is sort of his coming out year he's definitely one of the best quarterbacks in the league i think you could probably put mahomes maybe right ahead of him but this game to me is shaping up to be sort of buffalo's coming out party right it's been they've been kind of the trendy team the last couple of years um you know sort of on that way up and this is, this is exactly how you do it, right? This is how you announce yourself to the entire league by beating sort of those incumbents in the Kansas City Chiefs. So this is going to be an, an awesome game. But what are you looking out for in this one, Andrew? I mean, I think it's, just, it's a quarterback battle. I think, you know, how yep. in, in the 2000s, the, the big AFC quarterback battle was Manning versus Brady. I think right now it's Mahomes versus Allen. Um, and, and, you know, Josh Allen's played well enough at times where he's the one guy you go, is he the best quarterback in the AFC? Because otherwise it would be clearly Mahomes. Like we would just say, there's no argument. This shouldn't even be a discussion. But Josh Allen is like, if Cam Newton, in terms of his peak running ability, is like, you can't bring him down. He's going to, if you do bring him down, he's going to hit you and you're going to feel it too. And that adds up over the course of a game with like a really strong arm and the ability to pass it. That is, is you know, uncanny. He's, I mean, the, the, the Bills last week, basically had a perfect game offensively. I think they yes. scored a touchdown or a field goal on every drive. And the only time they didn't was when they kneeled the, the, the down at the end of the game. Yep, and that's no puns. Belichick defense. Like that's, they didn't do it against, you know, the Jaguars who oddly enough beat them this year. But 
I think ever since that Buccaneers game where they were down so much in the second half and then really made it a game, took it to overtime, but still lost. Like it seemed like that really was the, the flip the switch moment for the bills. And since then they've, they've been on a mission and it really feels like every year we find a team or two that yes, they have talent. Yes. On paper, they look good, but there's just that like intangible it factor where you can just tell like this team's got a different feel to it. There's a different level of motivation. They're all on the same page. There's one goal in mind and they're all striving for it together. And, you know, we saw it last week. They kind of got over the, the Patriots bugaboo, which had been on them for 20 years. You know, they, they not only beat them, but they embarrassed them, destroyed them on every level. And, you know, the Chiefs, not nearly the much as the same extent, have a little bit of that too. You know, they, they were specifically saying in the offseason, they built this team to beat the Chiefs. You know, the way that they constructed their offense and their defense. So I, I, I think the Chiefs are not just another opponent coming in there in an, you know, second round playoff game, they have a target on their back. And, you know, we've talked about it at length this year. Yes, the Chiefs rattled off like however many wins in the season. I think they won 10 of 11 or something like that. But they still didn't quite look like the juggernaut Chiefs that we've come to know the last couple of years. Yes, they were winning, but Mahomes would have these moments where you're like, he's great, he's good, but he doesn't quite have that same kind of almost perfection gleam to his game to him. You know, they're not doing the, the crazy highlight big you know, shots down the field, they're dinking and dunking and that was working, but it didn't really leave you feeling like, wow, this is the best team in the league and it's, no one's going to come close to it. So, I mean, the Chiefs are still not a team to sneeze at, but the, they, they seem vulnerable. They, for the first time, I really look at and say, you know, like I think if this game was in Buffalo, I would be firmly all aboard the Buffalo Bills winning this game and I, I would be very confident in that. I still like Buffalo to win actually, but I do think it's at Arrowhead it's going to be a good fun game. And there's a reason why everyone's saying this really could be the AFC championship, if not a matchup of the two best teams left. Yeah. Look, Arrowhead is a very, very tough place to play, but you basically said the two exact points that I was going to make and God, I hate when you do that, Andrew, so, so much, but it's two things, right? The bills got that monkey off the back. If you want to, we just, I mentioned it a couple minutes ago. If you want to be that sort of the new team, you want to announce yourself to the league, you have to beat the guys who have been ahead of you. And certainly that first step was that beating Bill Belichick team, right? Not just beating them, beating them soundly, beating them in every facet of the game, absolutely walloping them. So getting that monkey off your back is step number one. And then step number two, of course, is the Kansas City Chiefs. But Buffalo riding that momentum off the win over New England with the number one defense in the league, Josh Allen, who's one of the best quarterbacks in the league, And you've got a Chiefs team who they've kind of lost that aura of invincibility, right? Yeah, they won a hell of a lot of games in the middle of the season, but that start, the way the offense has sort of performed, right? They're not that team that you're going to have to score 40 just to beat them, right? Or just to be in a game, right? You can actually find ways to slow them down on offense. Yes, their defense has played a lot, lot better since they put Chris Jones on the nose tackle, but this is a beatable team. This is no longer the 14-2 Chiefs where it's like, okay, well, the Chiefs are going to be in the Super Bowl for the AFC and we'll see who, who comes out of the NFC. It's not like that anymore. They are beatable. They are human. And they don't look as invincible as they had in, in years past. And I think Buffalo knows that. I mean, they won 38-20 earlier this year. Yeah, that was in Buffalo. But, I mean, that's that's a pretty sound victory. You know, an 18-point victory that might as well be a blowout in the NFL. So having the momentum that the Bills have right now, sort of that – the loss of invincibility from the chiefs and the fact that they've beaten the chiefs this season and they can lean on, on Josh Allen. I I think that's huge, huge, huge for Buffalo. And secondarily, you know, 
Buffalo started running the football really well, which is weird, right? You look in the backfield, you got Zach Moss, Devin Singletary. They've been rotating a bunch of guys in there, but they started running the ball a ton at the end of the season and they've had a ton of success. And it's not to, not to say to, you know, take the ball out of Josh Allen's hand, but it's to basically set up Josh Allen, right? Set up deeper throws, set up play action. And the way that they've run the ball is has been very, very impressive. And it's kind of led to sort of this, this new evolution of the Buffalo Bills defense while leaning on the defense, but also leaning on the run as well. So for my money, I'm going to take Buffalo on the road. I just think this is sort of the year that that they kind of make a, make a good run here, right? I mean, they haven't been to the Super Bowl since 1993. That <laughs> Buffalo, New York, it's a hard, hard place to to live and you know be a fan, especially the Bills. You know, with all those Super Bowl losses in the 90s, um, I think this is a, this is a feel good year for the Bills, and I think it, it certainly kicks off here with a with a big win in Arrowhead. One thing I have to mention, Andrew, with, with regards to this game, right? We've made our picks on this game. We talked about this in the production meeting, but there's some interesting stuff going around the Chiefs, right? Willie Gay, he was he's starting linebacker for the Chiefs. He was arrested this week on a misdemeanor count of, I think, misdemeanor battery charge. And when you look at it, right, it, it doesn't look that bad. I mean, he broke a vacuum. He maybe broke a cell phone charger or a remote control or something like that. He was released. He is playing uh, on Sunday. Andy Reid said he's gonna he's gonna play him, but why the fuck is he playing? Like, so you want to talk about a misdemeanor charge, right? The guy broke a couple of things, no big deal. But here's the point of it: the mother of his three year old son filed for a civil protection order, which means that he did all this stupid shit in front of an infant child, in front of his three month old kid. Now, this is not the first time. Also, Willie Gay has gotten in trouble. This is why he dropped in the draft. Um, and I think this speaks, Andrew, tell me if I'm wrong. This is kind of an something that's nobody really talks about, right? You talk about the Raiders, you talk about the Bengals, you talk about the Cowboys as teams who kind of bring in, give guys second, third, four chances, maybe not the, the greatest guys in the world, but good football players. Nobody talks about Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs because I look at that, I look at that roster. I mean, we mentioned Willie Gay. You've got a guy like Frank Clark who's got all kinds of demons. You got Tyreek Hill who beat up a pregnant woman who was his girlfriend back in college. I mean, you got Kareem Hunt who was there for a little while. I mean, we all know what happened with Kareem Hunt, but why are people not talking more about this sort of the Kansas City Chiefs and Andy Reid and taking, you know, taking some chances on some guys who are, you know, I guess lacking character, if you want to put it nicely, because nobody ever seems to talk about that, but it's, it's pretty obvious to me. Well, my, my theory is that I think it just goes back to who's framing the narrative. And in, in the larger media, the NFL wants the Chiefs to be one of their marquee teams. Like they, Patrick Mahomes is, I still think, the best player in the NFL. And if he's healthy and doing the things he's doing for 10 to 15 years, he's your face of the league. And I think it's really tough to have that team that he's on that's fun, that's all about everything the NFL wants to stand for right now. These great offenses that are scoring touchdowns left and right. You know, that they, they really I like want to sell uh, as someone who doesn't like the Chiefs. I find it very annoying. That the Chiefs are one of the two or three most popular teams in the NFL right now. That being said, you know, they de they deserve a lot of the attention they get. I 100 percent understand that. So I wonder if that there's just some general like, let's let's bring it up if it if it happens and if it's important. We don't want to create the, this narrative of them having this reputation as this team that's employing a bunch of, of bad dudes because, you know, You've had plenty of scandals in the NFL, and then the, even if guys come back, it kind of sticks with them. I mean, like you said, Tyreek Hill beat up a pregnant woman, and you still see Bleacher Report, you know, posting like moments at him in, in these games on Sunday Night Football where he's like deuces to the crowd, and it's all like it's all good and fun. And I'm like, yeah, like he's doing great stuff on the field, but like his reputation should be that he's like not a good dude, and 
but yet he's treated like, you know, one of the superstars of the game with, with nothing attached to that. And, you know, it's like you said, it's, it's, um, they have a lot of, it's, and it doesn't just go to the players. I mean, this is a horrible tragedy last year, the Super Bowl, and Andy Reid's son is on the coaching staff. You know, he's not just the son of the coach. He's on the coaching staff. He's a part of the team, you know, was in a drunk driving incident and, and killed someone. You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff surrounding that team that, you know, it's, it's like, it's not that we don't know about it. It just hasn't become this picture of like this organization that kind of fosters a lot of, Hey, we're, we're willing to, you know, kind of take some, some flyers on guys and, and have that be a part of our reputation. But for whatever reason, the reputation isn't as widely, I guess, acknowledged, you know, if you're a casual NFL fan, you see all the stuff on Bleacher Report or ESPN or whatever, you may not really know. Oh yeah. Tyree killed, beat up a pregnant woman. And two years later was under investigation for beating up his child. Like that's mm-hmm. stuff that that's all stuff that happened. It's not like speculation, but yet, you know, they're not really, you know, had that same kind of, you know, association with them that, like you said, the Raiders, the, the Cowboys, the Bengals used to have when they would have a lot of guys with criminal records on their team. Yeah. It's, it's kind of the dirty little secret, I think of, of American sports, right. And it's not just related. It's not specific to football too, right. Talent always seems to trump what kind of character, right. Is, you know, as long as some guy didn't just straight out like murder somebody and everybody saw it, teams teams are willing to give guys who are very talented chance after chance after chance, right? Because at the end of the day, that's what those coaches in the front office, that's what their jobs and their livelihood are about is winning football games, right? Not necessarily like running press conferences for guys who, who beat up their pregnant girlfriends. But, you know, and, and I, I follow in that too, right? I like seeing Tyreek Hill play. He's awesome. He's incredible. He's so fast. He's great, but he's a bad bad human being and he just seems to you know his his talent just seems to make everybody forget like oh yeah this guy's actually a really really terrible dude and you know we mentioned frank clark cream hunt i mean these are dudes who are not good human beings but they're good football players and at a certain point you you know i'd love to see i would love to see some coaches stand up like yeah you know this tyree kill we're just we're gonna cut him because because at the end of the day some other team's gonna sign him and he's gonna be successful for that team it's that it's sort of thing is yeah you can stand up you want to be a good organization we only we only bring in character guys you know the, the brian flores thing which by the way miami's got all kinds of interesting guys on that team as well you can basically say pretty much any team has some questionable character guys on their team but there are specific teams like you mentioned you know chiefs uh, Chiefs, Bengals. I mean, the Bengals not really anymore. Maybe back in the day, but certainly the Raiders are definitely following that. There are certain teams that are willing to take more chances on more guys. The Cowboys, Randy Gregory. I mean, that guy had like half a dozen chances. Don't you know? So at the end of the day, talent always trumps character, and it's it's sad. It's kind of a dirty little secret in sports, but it's something that we we let happen because we want to see the best players on the field, and teams and organizations want to win. And so you know, I don't necessarily think Andy Reid's a bad guy. So that the the resume speaks for itself the, the the team that he has on on the field there and it, it that's what kind of got me thinking of it is just the fact that Willie Gay was arrested three days ago for breaking a bunch of shit in front of his three month old son and Andy Reid's like yeah he's playing because he can help the Chiefs win and that's the only reason so with that said Andrew we are out of time I love it another hour in the books of NFL football once again this is Saturday January twenty second it's the walk ons. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the games this weekend. Drink responsibly. Don't drink and drive. And uh, we'll see you next week. The Walk-Ons.